Well, hello. Hello, hello. Um, it's kind of cute, isn't it? Kind of cute, little video. So welcome to Life Goals. This is the beginning of our, a new teaching series for us as a church that we're going to spend some time in over the next five weeks, and I am kicking off this evening. Um, and uh, I'm sure probably most of you are quite familiar with uh, life goals as a, as a kind of subject, as a social media usage. I had to explain it to quite a few people this morning in our church family who are maybe slightly older than some of you guys. So I won't um, bore you with the details, but basically if I posted a picture on Instagram of the perfectly bronzed 2.4 nuclear you know, 2.4 children, nuclear family. Um, and I sort of titled it hashtag relationship goals, hashtag life goals. You'd kind of get where I might be going. Or if I sort of said on Twitter, I've just been offered my dream job, hashtag work goals, hashtag life goals. You'd be like, yes, Hannah, you're doing so great at life. Or if I maybe posted this picture and said, just sorted my commute for the work this week. You'd be like, hashtag car goals, hashtag life goals. Um, but um, I mean, I jest a little bit, but I think increasingly life goals is kind of real for us, isn't it? We have aspirations, we have goals, we have things that we want to achieve, we have things that we want to see happen in our lives, right? I'm sure if I went round, which I'm not going to, don't worry, and said, tell me some of your life goals, you'd be like, yeah, I, I want to get this particular job, I, I want to be financially independent, I want to be in a relationship, I want to own my own house. These are, these are not bad things. These are good things. These are life goals. But here's the question that I want us to really ask together these next five weeks. What are God's goals for us? What is God's best for us, wherever we find ourselves? What is God's best for friendship if we have friends? What is God's best for marriage if we're married? What is God's best for parenting if we're parenting? What's God's best for dating if we're dating? What is God's best for singleness if we're single? And what I mean by God's best is this, what, what does God actually have to say about these things? What is his wisdom? Because I don't know about you, but I I don't really want to go through life just kind of making it up and thinking of good ways to live. If God's real and I'm going to base my life on him, then I want to live it with his wisdom, with his strategy, with his insight. Are you with me? I want his word about it, his best. So just to refresh your memory... We've spent January exploring who we are. Who is it that God has said we are as church? And we've painted kind of this this amazing picture of the church that belongs to Jesus and how um, we're a people who pour ourselves out. We waste ourselves on Jesus. Carl was speaking about we like the perfume of our worship to Jesus fills a city, permeates the place. People see us and they see Jesus. That's who we are. Well, just to bring you all right back down to earth with a bump, uh, some of you are going to love this. For the next five weeks, we're really exploring. So what does that really mean? What does that really look like? How does following Jesus really shape the way I live? Because I think the reality is it's in the most ordinary humdrum reality of our very ordinary lives that the world encounters Jesus in us. It's in the way that we relate to our flatmates. It's in the way that we are in class. It's in the way that we talk to the bus driver. It's in those things, those things that we so often underestimate, that the world looks at us and sees Jesus. 
So the next five weeks, just to give you a little bit of headlines for those of you who like kind of boundary schedules, see where we're going. This is for you. Um, Next week, we're going to explore dating, the week after marriage, then parenting, then singleness and community. And there's a few other things going on at the different gatherings too. So do check them out if you um, want to hear more around that. So what I want to do tonight is just really simply set a framework for the coming weeks. Um, I want to paint a big picture really. And I want to talk to you about people. People. Anybody here a person? Okay, so I'm speaking to the right crowd. (laughs) Um, So I I want you to come back with me. I'm going to be personal um, right now. Eight years ago, I uh, was uh, just finished my um, degree at Edinburgh University, I did theology, and Carl and Kay invited me to come and interview to be an apprentice with what was then Morningside Baptist Church. And uh, so in fear and trepidation, because at that point I was really quite intimidated by the whole thing, and uh, I, I came to this interview, and like clear as day, I remember them sitting me down and saying, now Hannah, tell us, why do you feel called to church leadership? And I can remember to this very day, clear as anything, I said, I just love people. I just love people. I find them fascinating. And I think if someone asked me that question today, I'd give you exactly the same answer. But what I've learned in the eight years since that interview is that people, starting with me, are far more complex, far more messy than I even begin to imagine fresh-faced university graduate if you can hardly believe it I know it must seem completely ancient people still beautiful still mysterious still full of the infinite goodness and and creativity and bravery and courage of their creator but also broken also complex also more double-minded than I ever knew I could be I don't know about you, but I I just, I continue to be shocked by how human I am. Does anyone else feel like that? I'm shocked by how human I am sometimes. And the truth is that being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is, um, is inescapably a human experience. You didn't wake up this morning and think, great, it's Sunday. I'm going to be a Christian today. I'm going to take off this personhood, this humanity, and I'm going to step in and be the super spiritual self look at me. (laughs) No, you you follow Jesus today out of your humanity. You can't step out of it. You're a person. Following Jesus is a human experience. So that means that we do it in our brokenness as well as in our beauty. We follow Jesus in relationship to other people and to ourselves. So, If ever there was a passage that I think extolled God's best for us as people, it was Ephesians 4. So if you've got a Bible and you want to open it, that's where we're going to go this evening. What is God's best for people? What does he have to say? So if you want to open it up, it's going to be on the screen too. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry at all. Um, So what Paul has basically done in the previous three chapters, he's basically done what we've done in January, okay, as a church. We've said, this is who we are. This is amazing. This is like this galactical, huge vision of the church. This is who God made us to be. God's redeeming everything. He's creating a new humanity. He's brought these people together in his name. 
And then in chapter four, just to make sure that we don't entirely miss the point, he says, right guys, tie your shoelaces together, get your stuff together. This is how I want you to live. So let's read it. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let me just pray, um, because we've just read God's word and it's precious. So let's just pray as we come to it this evening. Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you breathe through your scripture afresh for us today? Because we want to follow you with integrity, with grace, with power in this city this year. We want to be your people. Would you come and would you teach us? Would you teach us? We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, let's dive right in. Where is Paul? Paul's writing this. Um, Paul is imprisoned against his will. He's under house arrest, so he's quite literally shackled arm and leg. But as a prisoner for the Lord, it's really interesting grammatical construction for those of you interested in the English language or the Greek language, so I should say. Um, it actually literally reads a prisoner in the Lord. Now, why am I making that point? Literally, Paul is saying, I am bound to Christ. I'm actually shackled to my Savior. It's the kind of binding that brings the best kind of freedom. Implication, we're all bound to Christ, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Whether you're sat here tonight, you're married, you're not. Whether you have good friendships or not. Whether you love rugby, which if you're English, you should love rugby after yesterday or not. Just a small whoop from over there. I'll speak to you later. Paul happened to be doubly bound. His arms and his legs were tied, bound as a prisoner for speaking of Jesus as Christ. But what he's saying is something deeper. He's saying, my being, my actual spiritual, physical, emotional, psychological being is bound to him. I belong to him. I'm bound to him. Whether we're married or we're single, whether with kids or without kids, whether we're gay or we're straight, whether we're female or we're male, if you have committed your life to Jesus, then you are bound to him. That comes first. That's the very first life goal. That's the foundation on which everything else gets laid. It's on him. It's in him. It's him. It's Jesus. Life with him. That's your primary identity. Life goal number one, Jesus. Life with him. And so if you're living a life with Jesus... Here's what it means. Paul goes on, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And I don't think um, Paul is talking here about any kind of calling, you know, because we do talk about calling in this church quite a bit. Some of us say, oh, I've got a calling to the media industry. I've got a calling to East Africa. I've got a calling to fashion. Those are good things. I don't think Paul really means that here. Or I've... I've got a calling to serve burgers in McDonald's, which I'm horrified to admit was actually my pregnancy craving. 
I uh, just could not stop at the cheeseburgers. It was awful. Um, Paul is describing a very different kind of call. He's saying this is the general call that we all have to be joined to Christ, to be bound to him, to follow him, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever relational circumstance you find yourself in, complete and undivided loyalty to him. It's an all in. Following Jesus sets the framework for everything else. That's your baseline. And so any relational question we have ultimately becomes a discipleship question. Do I want, do I want God's best for me? Do I want life with Jesus? Or do I want life without Jesus? Or I don't think any of us really would say that. Or do I want, maybe it would go a bit more like this. Do I want life with the Jesus that maybe I construct around my cultural circumstances, the grow your own Jesus that we talk about here? Which, which do I want? Do I want God's best or mine? And here's, I think, where it gets really, really interesting. Paul sets this kind of practical wisdom right into community. Verse 2, bear with one another in love. That's where this is all heading. One another, with people. One another. Discipleship isn't supposed to happen on our own. It doesn't work that way. It happens with people. It happens with one another. We learn to follow Jesus as we do it together. Because as we're bound to Christ, we're also bound to each other. Did you know that? I hate to break it to you, but you can't do this discipleship thing on your own. I, I mean, I can't. You can't. We can't. Scripture tells us. My all in to Jesus is necessarily an all in to you. To you. To you. To you. Isn't that amazing? That's the way God made it to be. To put it another way, your, your this way relationship is directly connected to your these way relationships. Do you get it? It's an all in. Now, you might be thinking, oh, Hannah, that's all very well and good. And you painted this like wonderful, beautiful picture of this utopian community of Jesus loving people. And we're all going to have a great time together. And you're thinking, but that's not actually really the reality that I'm currently encountering. I'm actually a bit cheesed off with the person who sat next to me, even though they're also a Christian. And uh, I've actually got a bit of disagreement with my uh, little student community right now. There's a bit of drama going on. I don't actually know that there is, in case you're all thinking that maybe I've had a conversation with Tamsin. I really don't actually know that. Or maybe in my missional community, there's like things going on. Or like there's, there's just tension in my family, like with my kids or with my parents. And just, it's just difficult, Hannah. You just don't really get it. That's not, that's not how it is. But this isn't just an ideal that God gives us. This is a reality that he's actually constructed that we get to participate in. We actually have to get involved. We have to let Jesus become the baseline on which we lay everything else. We have to step in and work it out. 
And I think that's where verse 2 is going to be just so very incredibly helpful. It certainly has been for me. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Can I encourage you, wherever you are, whatever relational circumstance you find yourself in, God has a best for you. He has wisdom and love and kindness and strategy to pour into your very ordinary circumstance that's going to bring good. That's, that's, what, that's all he ever does. He loves to bring good. And that's what he wants to give you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next 10 minutes, just 10 minutes, to just really simply work through these values in verse 2. And uh, this is not like a gourmet feast. This is not a sexy preach. This is like really simple stuff, okay? This is like beans on toast. It's simple um, and it's, it's nutritious, okay? It gets the job done. And we all need beans on toast sometimes, right? Yeah, okay. My kids get it like at least once a week. So I figure we all quite like beans on toast. Um, because these values are like the trampoline, that we're kind of setting, on which we're going to bounce dating, on which we're going to bounce marriage, on which we're going to bounce parenting, on which we're going to bounce singleness and community. This is the foundation that we're laying. Okay? <laughs> okay. So here we go. Be completely humble. Humble. The word used here for humble is ridiculously long and impossible to pronounce, but it basically implies lowliness of mind. It's a state of mind in which you consider the worth of other people before yourself. And basically what these early Christians did was they took this word that referred to the absolute abject submissiveness of a slave and they flipped it on its head to show how Jesus had taken the very lowest place in order to exalt the people whom God loved. They took a word and they said, look, humble, this is how much God loved you, that he was willing to become down here. Humble. No longer something resigned for the lowest of the low, but actually the highest ideal for anyone who would follow Christ. So it's not about holding ourselves in self-deprecation before you go there. It's not about saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to be so humble this evening. I'm going to just not really think about myself. I'm going to think about other people. And actually thinking about other people means thinking that I am an, in fact, awful person. And I have nothing to offer the world. Do you know that kind of like, I'm a, I'm a worm, basically. And I don't even deserve to be on the ground. I should be in the soil kind of thinking. That's, that's not what I'm going after. Not self-deprecation, but being willing to see ourselves and other people as God sees. Being willing to see ourselves and other people as God does. That's humble. That's humility. And it changes the way that we see ourselves. Because we see ourselves with the kindness of a father who loves you. He loves you. Yes, keenly aware of your shortcomings, your sinfulness, your weaknesses, but also aware of God's grace to you in them. His love to you in them. His kindness 
to you in the face of your weakness. And then that changes the way that you see other people because you can't walk around aware of your shortcomings and God's vast generosity to you in the face of them and then look at someone else and think, well, you really messed that up. No, that's grace. We see other people as God sees them. We have greater patience for the shortcomings of others. We're more willing to believe the best about other people because we've seen that God has believed the best about us. That's humble. That's humility. We offer more grace. We're all undone before God. We're all, we're all, all of us here this evening, we're all in need of a savior, whether we know it not yet or not. All of us. There's this great book um, by a great man um, called Bonhoeffer called Life Together that I've been reading a bit of as I've been preparing tonight. He was a, um, a pastor, a, a church leader in um, Germany as the Nazi um, ideology was on the rise. He was really looked at his nation and saw fear and evil on the rise. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, gosh, wow, there's some parallels here. Um, and, and he said this about God's best for people. He said, how can I possibly serve another person in unfeigned humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? Wow. I like that cut me deep. I don't want to come to be with my church family and have to put on my best Christian face. And pretend that everything is fine. The truth is that I'm just as much in need of a saviour as anybody else here this evening. No more, no less. We all need him. And the mask that I wear in the presence of other people gets me nowhere. Nowhere in the presence of God. Because he just sees right through it anyway. He loves you as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. So... Take the mask off. Guys, I think if we grasped hold of this one little word, humility, for our friendships, for our communities, for our workplaces, this city would see a whole lot more of Jesus in us. A whole lot more. Okay, new point. Humility makes me a lot more vulnerable. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Vulnerable. That's kind of risky. I think sometimes I can act a little bit like uh, in uh, 10 years time, my three best friends are going to knock on the door and say, hey, girl, because they'd be like really cool because they're my best friends. (laughs) And they'd be like, hey, girl, can we hang out? Can we do life together? But, like, I don't think friendships really work like that. Really deep friendships, the best kind of friendships, take time, take vulnerability, take humility. If you want really great friendships, you've got to be prepared to take off your mask and speculate on people seeing the goodness in you. Speculate on the goodness of other people. You've got to do it. There's no way around it. And do you know, sometimes... You get hurt. I've been there. That's really hard. But we don't build those kind of friendships when we just keep on a superficial level with people. We have to be real. 
We have to speculate on humility, seeing ourselves and other people the way that God does. And don't think that humility makes you a pushover, doesn't make you weak. Maybe some of you guys are thinking, oh, uh, not really getting that. (laughs) Actually, that next word, gentleness, is actually like the most strong thing. Actually, humility, it, it can look like believing the best about people is about calling them up, about saying to someone, hey, I don't see you acting in a way that is God's best for you. There is far more inside you than you're currently living. There is far more that God has for you right now than you're currently living. Yeah. It's being willing to challenge as well. It's not a weak thing. Don't think for a second it's a weak thing. Okay. Next, moving on from humility because we've been there a little while. Next, be patient. Be patient. If only it were that easy, right? Be patient. I actually thought I was quite a patient person until I had children. And then I was like, oh gosh, I'm actually horrible. (laughs) So this is me before I had children leaving the house. Oh gosh, is that the time? Let me open the door and leave. And then this is me after I had children leaving the house. Oh gosh, is that the time? Ah, I'm 15 minutes late already. Charlie, have you got your shoes? Grace, where is your coat? Grace, why are you playing in the bin? Charlie, get your coat on. Why have you not found your coat yet? Where are my keys? I've lost my phone. Like, actually, it's ridiculous. But um, I I find it really interesting here that Paul um, extorts the church to patience because it kind of implies that there was impatience that there was maybe conflict, that people were getting a bit ratty with each other, that they were maybe misunderstanding or missing each other. You know how that just happens sometimes? Two good people can be saying good things, but actually they're just missing and just just stuff happens. Yeah? Or that folks maybe would have to bite back words that they wanted to say or tempers were going to flare. It kind of implies that that stuff was going on and it makes me feel a little bit more human. I'm kind of in good company If the Ephesian church had to deal with this, then it's okay that I do too. It's okay that you do too. If you want to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received, if you want to follow Jesus above everything else, then in the immortal words of take that, you need to have a little patience. Yeah? Have a little patience. There are no shortcuts to being good with people. There are no shortcuts to the best kind of friendships. These things don't just happen. They don't just appear on your doorstep. Hey girl, let's be friends. These things take time. They take digging in for the patience of Christ. They take listening to each other, really listening. What are you really saying to me? Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. I don't know about you, but I want to be that kind of friend who digs in for patience when things get hard, when things aren't straightforward. I want to be loyal. That's what I see in Jesus. That's what I think God says his best is for friendship. Those are the kind of friends that I'm grateful. Friends who have patience for my snappiness, who offer me grace after grace in my pridefulness, who call me up on the stuff of my life that isn't God's best for me. 
those are the kind of friends that I'm really grateful for. And do you know, sometimes I've held them at arm's length because they've said difficult things to me and they've had the guts to actually face stuff and say it to me. And, but do you know, I'm great. I'm grateful for them. (laughs) I love them all the more because they've said the hard stuff as well as the good stuff. That's the kind of friend I want to be. That's what I think God's best is. What about you? Where are your friendships at? What does your community look like? What do you need to dig in for in this season? Is it patience? Is it humility? Listening? What would better help the people around you live a life with Jesus? God's best for them. And then the last verse of, uh, the last bit of verse two, bear with one another in love. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of struggled a bit with this verse, bear with one another, kind of implies part with someone. Um, Thomas Dean, if you could just stand up for a minute. He didn't know that I was going to do this, so hopefully I'll make him feel really awkward. He's actually just left. What is he doing? Oh gosh, he's really not a good friend. Oh, okay, right, Carl, you can stand up instead. Okay, so, I mean, it doesn't work. Yeah, okay, it kind of works. So basically, I could read this verse and think, hey, uh, bear with one another in love. Okay, God, I'm really putting up with this really difficult person. You know how tricky I find Carl, just how difficult it is, and I'm really doing my best down here. I'm getting a bit resentful, God, so if you just come and help me out, and just I'm just going to put up with him with really great difficulty. Okay, I think if we're honest, that is sometimes how we read that verse. Yeah, anyone with me? Put up with each other. And I think God's best for us is something very, very different. Bear with one another in love. It's all right, Thomas, you can take a seat. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for nothing. (laughs) Okay. Bear with one another in love. Those two words change everything. In love. In whose love? In God's love. Do you know that you have the very never giving up, always going on love of God in you? Guys, we should be some of the best friends in this city. Because we have God's love in us. We have the best kind of patience accessible to us. Is God's. It's his love. And love changes the way that we do us, the way that we do together, the way that we do one another, the way that we relate to people. Love means that we can't just draw lines and make cliques, just gather around us people who are like us and who actually like us as well. We can't do that anymore because Christ's love compels us. The gospel says that the world will know where Jesus' disciples when we really love each other, one another. So that means when we love the weak and the strong, when we love the difficult and the easy, when we love the stranger and the friend. Jesus says this, why, in one of the Gospels, why do you never invite people around for dinner who are not going to have you back? Oh, kind of hard isn't it but that's that's God's love 
That's God's best for friendship. When we're prepared to give and receive love, both from those who are in our inner circle, people who are like us and who like us, but also from those who are not. Like one of the students was talking about, like the homeless guy on the street. Bear with one another in love. So that's it, really. That's, that's where I've gone. <laughs> um, and I think where the rubber really hits the road is actually what happens when we step out of this auditorium. What are we actually going to do about it? And so I guess over all of this, I want to just like take a massive paintbrush and go, Holy Spirit, because <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't, you can't do this on your own. It's Holy Spirit in you. That's, that's how this happens. That's how humility grows. That's how patience takes root. That's how you discover God's best for you, life with Jesus. So I'd love to pray for us. Maybe could we stand together as we respond to God, whatever he's been saying. And if the band could come, that would be great. Okay, let's pray. However, it helps you to posture yourself before God and say, I'm here. I want to meet with you. Um, do that. <laughs> if, you, if you would like to encounter more of him and his best, just say, God, I'm, I'm here. I'm here for you. God, we're here for you. Your kindness, your love your best. And I want to pray first for um, those of us who know it's the right time for us to say, I want to make Jesus my baseline. I want him to be my life goal, number one. I want him to be primary identity. I want to base my life on him. So if that's you, that is such a gutsy thing to pray. Um, but I'd love it if you'd pray it with me goes like this. God, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he knows everything about me. Thank you that he died to deal with all the bad stuff in my heart and in my life that I know is there. Thank you that he's making everything new. And God, come and do that in my life. Come and be my baseline. Amen. If you prayed that, I'm just going to pray for you right now. Holy Spirit, would you come? And for the folks who prayed that prayer, Holy Spirit, come and fill them up with your joy and with that just everlasting, never giving up, always keeping going love of Father God. Fill them up, God. Let them know your kindness, your compassion, your generosity to them right now. And guys, if, if, if you prayed that prayer, then our prayer team would love just to um, speak a prayer of blessing over you and give you some stuff to help you follow Jesus. 
um, and, and just help you with some of that. So they're going to be over to my right. Um, but for the rest of us, just a couple of things that I'd felt as we respond together. I think in a culture that that says make a safe place for yourself, actually, it's an enormous thing to say, I'm going after the love of God. And I'm going to let that define the way that I do friendship. And that's a really massive thing, I think, for our generation especially. So if, if you know God's really got you around that, I'd love to pray for you. So maybe just put your hands out, ready to receive receive God's love you want that to define the way that you do friendship you don't want to just make a clique just have a nice life you want God's love to define the way that you do everything so God I pray for my family who are really saying that to you I want your love to be everything I don't want to just play it safe or keep it comfortable or just have this nice group of friends I want your love to be radically alive in the way that I live I pray Holy Spirit that you'd come and you'd empower them for that kind of love that you give them the strength to stand against a tide of culture that would say something very different help them speak of you help them live the most amazing adventure with you